Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our text from Luke chapter 12 contains a rather jarring and a disturbing image. The image of a closed door. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock. As jarring as it may seem, it is not the first closed door that we've run into in this section of Luke's Gospel. In chapter 11, we met the reluctant friend who got out of bed at midnight to answer the door in response to the call, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. The closed door is opened, not because of friendship, but on account of the man's impudence and persistence, from which Jesus draws the conclusion, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. In chapter 12, we find the watchful slave standing at the closed door, ready to open at a moment's notice when the master returns from the wedding feast. And he does return with stunning results. He, the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will come and serve them. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not know. In chapters 11 and 12, a closed door was opened. But here in chapter 13, an open door is closed. It will not be opened again, for the hour has come, the hour of the heavenly feast. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets will be in attendance. Will you? The closed door is a warning. Our text begins as Jesus makes his way through towns and villages, teaching and making a journey toward Jerusalem. This is the second travel notice in Luke's Gospel. The first back in chapter 9 helps us to set the context and the, the urgency of today's reading. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. To be taken up to the high priest's house after being betrayed in the garden. To be taken up before Pilate with the ringing condemnation of the people in his ears. Crucify, crucify him. To be taken up on the cross as his enemies jeered. And the faithful watched in silent horror. But then, risen from the dead and taken up to the Father, Jesus' going inaugurates the reign of heaven. And as Jesus is going, someone asks, Lord, will those who will be saved be few? Does the unnamed questioner consider himself or herself to be one of the elect, part of the reign of heaven? It was a hotly debated question in the period between the Testaments. This was the time when the Qumran community separated themselves from the rest of Judaism, and the other, better-known factions developed, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was more than a question of pride of place among men. It reflected a false understanding of election that, which prompted John's stinging rebuke at the Jordan. You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. We can't see the thoughts of the man or woman who asks the question. But Jesus' answer must have come as quite a shock. 
a closed door. And to those on the outside, Jesus gives voice. When you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. I do not know where you came from. But Lord, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Table fellowship. In Luke's gospel, table fellowship becomes a powerful metaphor for the reign of God. Arthur justifies it as the gracious presence of Jesus at table, where he teaches about the kingdom of God and shares a meal in an atmosphere of acceptance, friendship, and peace. Close quote. In Jesus, God is present with sinners. At the table, God instructs sinners as he incorporates them into fellowship. Here, reclining to share a meal, we have peace under the powerful protective hand of the Father. In this context, a closed door, to be on the outside of a closed door, is truly a frightening image. Even more thought-provoking is the implication that table fellowship with Jesus is not quite enough. Strive to enter through the narrow door before the master of the house has risen and shut it. Before the door closes, there is a time of patient forbearance to provoke repentance. It's the message of the baptizer who went into all the region around Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John had warned the people that mere presence was not enough. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. There are, it seems, two tables here. Eating and drinking with Jesus in the house of Simon in Luke chapter 7 is not enough. But the woman who enters uninvited to wash Jesus' feet with her tears enters also through the narrow door and enjoys heavenly table fellowship. Why? Because she recognized the Lord of the feast. Eating and drinking at this table is not enough unless you recognize the Lord of the feast. He it is that gives his body as true food and pours out his blood as true drink for the forgiveness of sins, who declares, you are forgiven. A closed door is also a warning for us. Just hanging around the table, hanging around the church is not enough. Jesus' words are in the imperative mode. Strive, struggle to enter through the narrow door. It sounds like a call to action, physical action to do something, to go somewhere. Well, to the door, obviously, but where is it? What is it? It's not about showing up Sunday after Sunday. It's not about sewing quilts for Mexico or stuffing backpacks or Homeless Connect or the Elders Fund. These are all good and helpful, even commended things to do. Shining examples of our horizontal righteousness, the help God gives to our neighbor through our hands. But it's not my struggle. It's not your struggle to enter at the narrow door. A closed door is a call to respond, a call to repent, to struggle against the old Adam, the old Eve that dwells deep down inside each of us, that kindles our hearts with the desires, the evil thoughts, the, the stuff we all know is down there, the stuff we would be absolutely horrified if anybody ever found out. We struggle against the old Adam. We struggle against the world that throws up countless temptations and continually twists the truth to its own ends. We struggle against Satan, 
the father of lies and the great deceiver. A closed door is a call to repent. It's not really even a theological question. A question that could be approached from a Roman or an Orthodox position. It's not a question that prompts us to read Calvin or Arminius or even Luther. It is a question unto salvation. Do you know the master of the house? Do you know who it is that opens and closes the door? It's Jesus who taught in our streets, whose blood declares you are forgiven in the words of absolution. It's Jesus who declares I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. And that is a great offense to many. Yet Jesus answers the question, Lord, will those who are saved be few, not with a number, but with a command? Strive to enter at the narrow door. Just observes that as it is narrow and one must struggle, there's no possibility to crawl through the door wearing medals or bearing trophies awarded for good works before people. Nor do people come through in groups, the Jews, the Pharisees, etc. But one by one. You enter the narrow door through baptism, as Paul writes to the Galatian Christians. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You are mine, he declares, by water and word. You enter the narrow door daily, as Jesus encouraged us back in Luke chapter 9, immediately after his first passion prediction. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You are redeemed through the cross and the open tomb. And you enter the door, narrow door for all eternity. Blessed are those who hear the voice of the master proclaim, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Blessed are those who stand before the king who will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Until that day, we sing as we sang this morning. O God, let us hear when our shepherd shall call, in accents persuasive and tender, that while there is time we make haste, one and all, and find him, our mighty defender. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus. At the narrowly open door is great good news for all people. It is good news because Jesus is the one who controls the door to the kingdom. My youngest son once quipped with wisdom beyond his high school years, well, Dad, all doors are automatic doors. It's just a matter of waiting long enough. <laughs> there is a curious truth to that statement, but also a bitter irony. It's ironic because so many people are being lost, striving to enter at other doors. The mantra of spirituality and not religion, especially Christian religion, or who strive to force at the right door open through moral living, or those who pound on the door demanding God's bounty, but the door does not move. These all will be lost without Jesus. He's the one who controls the door. The wonderful truth of the gospel, of God's love for sinners in Christ, is simply this. Jesus is the automatic door opener. On that first Easter morning, the entrance of the tomb stood open, not to let Jesus out. He had already risen. Rather, the stone was rolled away to let sinners 
repentant sinners, you and I, in. The empty tomb is the narrowly open door. All this time you may have been thinking of the narrowly open door as an entrance, the front door to heaven, and it is. But at the same time, it is the exit door from sin and Satan and death. That's the wonder of Romans chapter 6 when Paul writes, You were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. That is the closed door. We truly were dead, but we were baptized into him in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You have exited eternal death through the narrowly open door of the open grave. And not just you. Jesus invites all people. John chapter 12, Jesus explains the voice from heaven by saying, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself, rich and poor, black and white, brown and yellow, young and old, men and women. Jesus draws them all through the narrowly open door. Our text makes that clear, that people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the heavenly kingdom. Jesus invites us through water and word and sacrament. He's the master who says to the servant, go out to the highways and hedgeways, compel people to come in, that my house may be filled in Luke chapter 14. Jesus invites us to the feast prophesied in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a rich feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Welcome to the banquet. Jesus has thrown wide the door. Amen. Now may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.